Now, we're going to read the Bible together, and we've been working our way through the, the, the story of 2 Samuel uh, and the story of David. We're going to read just maybe a little bit of that story, so 2 Samuel 15, and then we're going to read Psalm 3. So, uh, 2 Samuel 15. which is on page 320. Page 320, we'll read. A little from this. So, 2 Samuel 15 from verse 13, page 320. Remember that Absalom has become, has taken over the kingdom and David now fears for his life. A messenger came and told David, the hearts of the men of Israel are with Absalom. Then David said to all his officials who were with him in Jerusalem, come, we must flee for none of us will escape from Absalom. We must leave immediately or he will move quickly to overtake us and will bring ruin upon us and put the city to the sword. The king's officials answered him, your servants are ready to do whatever our Lord the king chooses. The king set out with his entire household following him, but he left 10 concubines to take care of the palace. So the king set out with all the people following him and they halted at a place some distance away. And then let your eye go across to chapter 16. And from verse uh, 13, uh, there's a a, a man called Shimei who uh, curses Saul. In fact, we'll read from verse 5 of chapter 16. This is page 321. As King David approached Barim, a man from the same clan as Saul's family came out from there. His name was Shimei, son of Gera. He cursed as he came out. He pelted David and all the king's officials with stones, though all the troops of the special guard were on David's right and left. As he cursed, Shimei said, get out, get out, you man of blood, you scoundrel. The Lord has repaid you for all the blood you shed in the household of Saul, in whose place you have reigned. The Lord has handed the kingdom over to your son Absalom. You have come to ruin because you're a man of blood. And then look over to verse 13. So David and his men continued along the road while Shimei was going along the hillside opposite him, cursing as he went and throwing stones at him and showering him with dirt. The king and all the people with him arrived at their destination exhausted, and there he refreshed himself. Now that's the background to our Psalms. So we're going to turn over to the Psalms, Psalm number three, page 544. Psalm 3, page 544, and we'll read this psalm together. Psalm number 3. You'll see the little inscription at the top, a psalm of David when he fled from his son Absalom. O Lord, how many are my foes, how many rise up against me. Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. But you are a shield around me, O Lord. You bestow glory on me and lift up my head. To the Lord I cry aloud, and he answers me from his holy hill. 
I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear the tens of thousands drawn up against me on every side. Arise, O Lord. Deliver me, O my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. Amen. We trust that God will bless to us his word this evening. Well, let's take our Bibles and turn to Psalm 3. That's where we're going to be tonight. Psalm 3, page 544, 544. What do you do whenever you are afraid? Or what do you do whenever you are in trouble? That's really what we're, we're thinking about tonight. Very simple, actually. And of course, what we're, we're assuming, even as we say that, is that we will find trouble and that we are often in trouble. You, you may think that that hardly seems to need to be said, but, but of course, we do un, need to underline that because no matter how uh, otherwise we, 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 we might hear we're all very quick to drift into thinking that God's first job is to keep us trouble-free. That's just a basic orientation of what it means to be frail, fallible human beings, even uh, Christian human beings. You know that there's a brand of, of, of Christian teaching, I very loosely use that term, uh, sometimes called the prosperity gospel. It sort of says that God's intention is to bless us with health and wealth and generally a lack of trouble. And of course, it's not the gospel. But even if we had not swallowed that, our hearts often believe that if God was really, really for us, then he would keep us comfortable and happy. A sort of lifelong palliative care until we get to heaven. Nothing too difficult, nothing too exciting, but nothing too difficult. And we would never say that, but when we find ourselves in trouble, facing difficulty, we sometimes find ourselves thinking, God, can't you see what I'm going through? Why didn't you stop this? And usually, usually our prayers are centered around something like this, Lord, make this stop, get me out of here. And yet Jesus said, didn't he? He promised, he said, in this world you will have trouble. He also said, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. Why not? Tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. How do we face it? What should we do? Well, very simply this evening, we're going to look at what David does in this psalm. Uh, in some ways, David here is a really good model for us in response to the difficulty and trouble that he finds himself in. And, and there's a particular reason that we're doing that, because as we've seen, it fits uh, into our journey through 2 Samuel that we've been doing in the mornings. The Bible tells us it's a psalm of David, the title in the psalm, a psalm of David when he fled from his son Absalom. The, the, the titles, by the way, above the psalms in the small print were added later in, in history, uh, but it seems that Jesus regarded them as part of Scripture, and so we must also. So, so this is the setting of the psalm, and it comes immediately after the part of the story that we were looking at this morning. 
Now, some of us won't have been here in the mornings. Uh, let, let me recap a little. Uh, David is the second king of Israel. This is about 1000 BC. His rise to power has been really quite a story. He was just a humble shepherd boy. He was set apart to be king. He slays Goliath. He's taken into the service of the first king of Israel, a man called Saul. And Saul eventually really goes off the rails and he turns against him. David's popularity rises. Saul's falls. And Saul is very jealous and and he tries to take out his envy on by killing David. David flees. He spends several years on the run. And and then eventually Saul and and his sons, they, they die in battle. And David comes to the throne. And through this time, we, we largely see David acting in an honorable and a godly way. He, he waits on God. He trusts God. He's a man after God's own heart. And in lots of ways, he's a picture of Jesus. He's, he's God's faithful king. He's the rightful ruler of God's people. He's triumphing over his enemies. He's exercising grace. He's, he's lifting up the needy. And then came the incident with Bathsheba. He commits adultery. He tries to cover up the resulting pregnancy. He has her husband murdered. And, and as that story is being told in Second Samuel, there's no reference to God. God is, is, is he's, he's, been, he's been walking with God for, for years and then for a whole period of his life, he just puts God in the corner as it were. And it's sobering to remember just how a man after God's own heart is capable of closing God out of his life. I read a story a a couple of weeks ago about the author of the the hymn that we love to sing here. I love to sing it, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, maybe one of my favorite hymns. It was a man called Robert Robinson. um, And Uh, We we really value the line, I really value the line, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. And and I recently heard a story about about Robert Robinson. Uh, He he was uh, a Baptist pastor, uh, uh, non-traditional Baptist pastor in in the uh, early years of of the English Reformation. And uh, he got sucked into a whole strand of false teaching drifted away from the Lord, got involved in this false teaching. And and he was traveling in a carriage, one of those horse-drawn carriages, and there was a a woman who got into the carriage, was sitting opposite him, and she was just a talker. You know, you get on the train, you go to Belfast, and you you meet a talker, and you go, oh, goodness, I didn't want a talker today. And, 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 well, he came, and there was a talker, and it wasn't as if there was loads of seats. He had to sit opposite her, and and she talked, and and she talked about, about hymns and the hymns that were a really blessing to her. And she kept on coming back to his hymn, Come Thou She said, this is the hymn that I really, really enjoy. And he, he couldn't stand it any longer. He blurted out, um, Madam, I am the poor, unhappy wretch who wrote that hymn many years ago, and I would give a thousand worlds if I had them to enjoy the feelings I had then. That, that really hit me, because I, I sing that, and, and I say, I, I, as I sing that, I, I know what that feels like, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. And not only was that expressed by somebody who was scared of wandering, but it sounds as if it was expressed by somebody who eventually did wander. So it's, it's, it's not an uncommon thing 
But it's not a good thing, nor is it an inevitable thing. And stories like this, David, are here to warn us of the folly and the consequences of going off the rails. Because what we see is a whole string of consequences that flow from David's decisions, negative ones. He, he repents and he is forgiven. And we're going to see that in lots of ways, David's heart is, is really restored to the Lord tremendously. But the consequences remain. There's immorality within his family. There's murder within his family. We saw this morning his own son, Absalom, rises up against him. David had allowed him back into the city. This stalemate situation uh, emerged. And, and then given this opportunity, Absalom embarks on this political campaign to take over the kingdom. He, he's an absolute master at it. He does it with remarkable astuteness. In those days, the king was the sort of the supreme court in the land, and legal disputes were settled by him or his palace representatives. And Absalom capitalized on this. He would get up early. He would wait uh, at the gates of Jerusalem for those coming along to bring their disputes to the king. And he would talk to them and he would say this, look, your claims are, are valid and, and proper, but there's no representative of the king to hear you. It's like trying to get an MOT appointment at the moment. You just can't get there. If only I were appointed judge in the land, then everyone who has a complaint or case could come to me and I would receive that he receives justice. It's just the standard patter if you're going to be uh, elected prime minister or leader of the Tory party. You, you say, if it was me, I would do so much better than those other miserable people. And he did this for four years. And you can imagine he began to get quite a reputation. 2 Samuel tells us that Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. And as people complained about the bureaucracy of David's kingdom, they would have said, oh, if only young Absalom was in power, he, he seems to know how to get things done. Party politics at its most basic level. And then the day came when Absalom went off to Hebron under the guise of making an offering. But in fact, he, he led a revolt with all of his followers and David heard of this. And that's where we picked up our reading. And his household and his loyal soldiers were forced to flee Jerusalem before Absalom would come and possibly kill them. That's what they were afraid of. And we read of, of King David climbing the Mount of Olives as he heads east, barefoot, his head covered, weeping. In some ways, he is still prefiguring Christ now, prefiguring him in his rejection and humiliation. The rejected king who would also go that way up through Gethsemane to the cross. So David's in trouble. Deepest, darkest experience of his life, probably, so far at least. And it was, in some ways, trouble of his own making. That's even more difficult to cope with, isn't it? Whenever we, we, we find ourselves in a really difficult situation and we have the added trouble of guilt and regret, thinking, I wish I could have done it differently. Well, what does David do whenever he's in trouble? Well, four things, really simply. Here they are. They're on the screen. We, we, we've, got to, we've got to tell the Lord... We've got to remind yourself about the Lord. You've got to be confident in the Lord. Go forward with the Lord. Now, we don't believe in a, in a slot machine faith, you know, where you sort of mechanically put your coin in, turn the handle, and a result comes. That's not how a relationship works, not how God works. But sometimes we, we need some 
routines, don't we? A sort of an expectation. What do I do whenever I'm in trouble? Well, how about this? We tell the Lord, remind ourselves some things that are true about the Lord. We, we, we put our trust in the Lord. We're confident in Him. And we, we step forward. Well, let's see what David does. We, we tell the Lord. David pours out his complaint to God. He says, oh Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? So he, he's, he's got a few people with him, but he's in the minority. Those against him outnumbered him. And not only that, he has to endure scorn. Many are saying of me, verse 2, God will not deliver him. And that's probably a reference to Shimei that we read of in, in 2 Samuel 16. He's a, a relative of the old uh, uh, court, royal court of Saul. And as David is fleeing through the valley, there's Shimei up safely on the, on the ridge, chucking down stones at him and dirt and so on. And, and so here's David. He's just at his low point and he's pouring out his heart to God. He, he doesn't blame God. He knows that there's a sense in which he's responsible for Absalom's behavior. Family have lost respect for him. He's found himself really unable to rule properly. But here's a situation that we can sort of identify with, can't we? Everything pulled away from us. Dark experience. Uh, maybe like, like David, the problem is opposition. We just feel as if the whole world's against us. Uh, maybe it's, it's people who are saying, like Shimei, well, where has your God got you now? You know? Maybe it's some circumstances that have come our way that have left us feeling down, guilty perhaps. And maybe we feel as if God's, our hold on God's not very strong. But, but what does David do? He, he really shows us what do we do whenever we get ourselves into trouble or we get into trouble. He turns to the Lord. He tells the Lord. He just pours it out. In the midst of his backsliding, he never looked to God didn't, didn't pick up his Bible, didn't pray, but now in trouble he does. And this is how God intends us to be. Oh, it's so basic. You know, we could, we could, we could, we could do worse than come together every Sunday night and say, do you know what we've got to do, folks? We've got to read our Bible, pray every day. It would get, it'd get really easy to prepare those talks, but, but it would probably do us good. Look, Lord, here's how it is. It's not that God needs to, to hear that from David. God knows how it is. But in the telling of it to the Lord, communion is formed, relationship restored. Some of us just let things go so far down the plug hole before we talk to the Lord, don't we? We need to go to him early. So there's the first thing tell the Lord. Second thing, remind yourself about the Lord. So, so David has poured out his heart to, to God, and, and as you can, you can see, there's a movement in this psalm. Things happen. The focus moves away from him to the Lord. It looks as if David is reminding himself of some truths that he knows, and you see what he says. But you are a shield around me, verse 3, O Lord, and you bestow glory on me and lift up my head. He's a shield to him. Apparently, the, the word for shield here is not a, a little round shield. It's a big, the big sort of uh, Roman soldier shield, the big tall one that you could really, really hide behind. So God is his protection. That's what he's saying. And, and there's more because he, he says, 
you bestow glory on me. This is the, the glory of, of the honor that comes from serving the Lord. It's how amazing, isn't it, that, that David, though he is fleeing from Absalom with all the loss of dignity, imagine, you're, imagine the royal family fleeing out of the capital city with their detractors pelting them with things. Absolutely humiliating. And yet, here is something that, that can't be taken away from them. The child of God, even when he or she is in the most terrible circumstances, is still privileged above others. It's as if he's remembering and God's enabling him to remember that even in his most humbling circumstances, there is an honor that he possesses as God's child that the world cannot give to him or take away from him. And then that wonderful statement, you lift up my head, you're the lifter up of mine head. What a picture. Here's David cast down, feeding the worlds against him. And it's as if, you know what it's like with a toddler, the, the, the bottom lip goes out. And it's as if the, the, the parent just puts the finger under the chin and lifts up their little face to, to look to them again. Some of them were saying, God will not deliver him. Where's your God? David was saying, oh, it's all my fault. Look at where I've ended up. I've been so stupid. And what's God doing? Well, God is dealing ever so tenderly with David, isn't he? Really seeking him to get to, to look to him again, away from all the things that are going on around him, in order to remind him that he's loved and cared for. So, so God's not coming with condemnation here, but reassurance. So you remind yourself of what you're like, of, of what God is like, even when you don't necessarily feel it. You're a shield around me. Lord, I'm holding on to this. You're a shield. You're the, you're the lifter out of my head. Uh, this week, the, the, um, the church on earth lost a great man, David Pollinson. Some of us maybe know that name. He was a person who led the, the work of CCEF, the Counseling Training Ministry associated with Westminster Seminary, a really good friend of Stafford Carson's, actually. He spoke at a conference last year in Belfast really excellently. He'd been ill for some time with pancreatic cancer, and he passed away this week. And, and all sorts of troubles, have, or all sorts of tributes have been flooding in about him and the impact of his ministry. Ray Ortland, there's a name that's known to many of you. Ray Ortland spoke wonderfully of him. He, he told of a time when he and his wife, Janie, were going through the most difficult time in all of their uh, their lives. It was a difficult situation in a church that had developed that they were leading. They eventually ended up leaving that church. And David had been their, their helper in the midst of it all. And, and he said to them something like this. Ray writes about it. He said, Ray and Janie, you are suffering and it isn't going to get better anytime soon. So here's an idea. Ask the Lord for a verse of scripture, a promise in the Bible to help you get through this. And, and when that verse jumps off the page into your heart, make it the theme of your life while you slog your way forward. However dark the nighttime sky may be, you can always look up at that North Star promise, get your bearings again and keep going. But he said, wallpaper your reality with the word of God. And they did. And, and Johnny soon read 1 Peter 5 and 10, and after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. 
And Ray said, we seized that verse. We just seized it. They, they wrote it in post-it notes and put it on the inside of every cupboard so that whenever they opened the cupboard, it was there. Put it in the sun visor in the car. And of course, Americans actually use their sun visors. We don't, but, but, but they do. And, and so they saw them all the time. And they were reminding themselves that, that they have a God who, who, who sees them through trouble. And they were struggling. They said this. They were struggling to believe it at times, but they kept it in front of them. They were saying, this is what God is like. This is what he does. I'm going to hold on to this. I'm going to hold on to him. And you see, this is what David's doing. I know this about you, Lord. Now, that's true for us, isn't it? We've got to hold on to these things that we know to be true about God. Because whenever trouble comes into our lives, here's something that we so often forget. Our circumstances have changed, but God has not. So all the things that we knew about God yesterday are true today. You see, he says that that he's going to answer him from his holy hill. Verse 4, to the Lord I cry aloud, he answers me from his holy hill. As he does this, you see, God answers and, and where he answers from is really significant. You know the holy hill? It's the, it's the hill of sacrifice. It's where the ark is, where the altar is, where offerings are made. So, so David is, is not just aware that, that God is the one who has given him another chance. You know, that's what the world does, isn't it? Well, I'll give you another chance. It's not just that he's given him another chance or, or, or turned a blind eye to his sin, you know. Oh, yeah, I know that you snorted lots of cocaine, but it was 20 years ago. No, he has paid for his sin on his holy hill, sacrifice. You see, David's pushing the gospel into his life. You have done this, he's saying. I am yours. You've paid for me. I'm, I'm welcomed by you, even in the midst of this. So whenever you're in trouble, remind yourself about the Lord. Time's running on. Very quickly, these last two. Then be confident about the Lord. Well, there's an answer somehow. He, he finds himself moving forward. Maybe it's the sense that, that God is really in control. He's got some sense of peace, perhaps, in the midst of it all. I think of whenever we read this, I lie down and sleep. I, I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear the tens of thousands drawn up against me on every side. It's just that Old Testament parallel, isn't it, to do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And so, so he's, he's just, he's able to put his head on the pillow. It's one of the diagnostic questions of where we are, isn't it? How are you sleeping? Those things just going over and over in your head? What, what, what do you think about whenever you wake up in the morning? So you say to David, well, how, how are you sleeping, David? Oh, sleeping great. Put my head on the pillow and, and I'm, oh, I'm out. What do you think about in the morning whenever you wake up? Is this the first thing in your mind, Absalom? No, no, no. In the morning, I think, the Lord sustained me. Isn't that good? First thing in his head. What do you think about when you wake up? What a change, isn't it? I will not fear the tens of thousands thrown up against me on every side. 
what a change from the beginning of the psalm. Now, you see, his circumstances haven't changed. He's still got enemies. There's still more of them than there is of him. But his attitude's changed. Initially, he's taken up with the scale of the problem. But now, he's confident in the Lord. So he's just putting God to the test. He's saying, Lord, I'm going to push through with you here. I'm living as if this is true. Sometimes we've got to do that. Do you know? We've got to say, I'm not really feeling it, Lord. Don't feel like I can trust you today. But you said it. I'm going to do it. I'm living as if it's true. Confident in the Lord. Last thing in the word. Go forward with the Lord. It would be easy just to, to stop it there, wouldn't it? But he, he moves on. He's not just after peace of mind. Now, here's something for us. He's not just after peace of mind. Lots of us are just after peace of mind. We just want to feel happy. But, but David doesn't go there. He, he is going further. He says, arise, O Lord. Deliver me, O my God. Strike all my enemies in the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. You see, he, he knows that he's been set apart as king. He, he has enemies. There are enemies now from within his family and household. He, he's, he's seeing this attack as a, an attack on, on the rightful king and so he says, Lord, you deal with this. I, I want to be back doing the things that I'm supposed to be doing. And then his confidence from the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. He's not only thinking about himself. Don't just make me happy, Lord. Bless your people. Bless your cause. Work in me and through me. He wants others to experience the blessing of the Lord. So there's David's prayer. Psalm 3. Run out of time. But what do you do whenever you're in trouble? As I say, we're not really into just slot machine Christianity. You put your coin in, you do these four things, and this is what will happen. But you could do much worse than doing these four things. Tell the Lord. Talk to him. Sometimes I, I, I hear people talking about their fathers, maybe fathers that are no longer with us, and they say, you know, I used to tell my dad everything. Tell the Lord. He's your heavenly Father. Remind yourself about the Lord. He, he hasn't changed. Your circumstances may have, but he hasn't. Be, be confident in the Lord. Trust him with what you're going through. Put your head on the pillow at night and say, Lord, I'm going to sleep in safety tonight because you're in charge. And go forward with him. Do you know my old minister in Aberdeen? He was, he was about, oh, I don't know, 90-something when he died. He was still preaching till he was about 87. You think I'm going to retire at 67? No way. <laughs> he used to say, you're immortal till your work is done. If you're here tonight and you're a Christian, God has something for you. If he, if he didn't, you'd be done. He's got something for you. Go forward with him. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you that David in all of his mess 
in all of the, the horrendous situations of his circumstances, thank you that he has shown us what it is to walk with you in trouble. Help us, Lord, to look to you in the situations that we're in or might be in. We pray in Jesus' name.